0: Amen. Power in that name. Well, good morning. So good to see all of you here today. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. I've been involved with this church for 18 years now 11 of that as a youth pastor and I was just sitting there thinking looking at all these graduates up here that is by far the largest group of graduating seniors we have ever had in the 18 years that I've been here so uh, that's pretty neat to see I always say I like the, the idea that we're not losing them we're launching them out into the next thing that God has for them so graduates Stay strong. It's going to get harder out there. Uh, the enemy is relentless, but you keep your eyes on Jesus. And uh, it's going to be good. All right, First Thessalonians. Last week we got away from our series for one Sunday, and we're in Psalm 54. But today we're going to pick up where we left off two Sundays ago, which is verse 5 of chapter 2. So uh, we're going to read this, 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Starting in verse 5, we're going to go through verse 12, so let's all stand together in honor of God's Word and look at this. Apostle Paul is writing and he says, "...for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority." But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship and, and working day and night, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is, God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word and the truths that are contained in this, And uh, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would draw us deeper and closer to yourself, that you would open our eyes to see you for who you truly are, because Lord, it's only in that moment are we truly changed, and so God, I pray that you would have your way through this, Lord, would you anoint the words that come from my mouth, that may, they may do nothing but edify you. Have your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So looking at this particular text and studying on it, it took me several days before I finally realized how the Lord wanted me to approach this. And I can't tell you how many times I read over these eight verses just trying to decide how I was supposed to preach it because... There are a lot of things, a lot of topics just within these verses here that, that could be preached on. I mean, we could focus on verse 5 and 6 and talk about what motivates us to, to, to live for God. Is our motivation the praise of men or is it the pleasure of God? I could talk about the authority that Paul had as an apostle and how he used his authority to serve rather than to demand and I thought about that and I was like man that would be a really good lesson for the men because too many men use the authority that they have as a spiritual leader of their home to demand obedience rather than using that authority to serve their families but don't worry man your toes are safe today I'm not going to talk about that just take what I just said and and chew on it Did y'all just lose me we're back all right thank you we could look at verse 8 where paul says we are pleased to not only give you the gospel but also our own lives as well and talk about what real community and discipleship looks like and i could point out how with just just within nine verses paul mentions the word gospel four times which shows us how Focused he was on that single purpose and used that to remind us of what it means to be a gospel-centered church. We could look at verse 10 and talk about what it means to walk uprightly and blamelessly. So there are many topics just within these eight verses that we could pick to to preach a sermon on. And if you've been involved in any church long long enough, you have probably heard a sermon on any of these topics, probably from this very text, but like I said, I kept reading over this and trying to decide which direction I should take, and then the Lord reminded me of something, and the question came to my mind of what is the purpose of His Word? The purpose of the Bible is for us to get to know God, I mean, this is first and foremost a book about Him, and so everything that we read should be pointing us to Him, not pointing us... To us and so I read these verses one more time with this question in mind what does this tell me about God and when I did the text just came alive and so that's how we're gonna look at this we're gonna look at them from that perspective now what we are reading obviously is what Paul and his companions did this is how they behaved and acted how they treated the the church, the people there in the church in Thessalonica. And so you might wonder, where? how can you learn anything about God in that? This is what Paul and some other men did. Well, it's because what they did is what we are all called to, to be a reflection of the character and nature of God on earth. That is our purpose in life. That is why we were created. That is why we were saved, so that when people see us, And the way that we live and the way that we treat others, they'll get a pretty good idea of what God is like. That's what it means to live as a Christian. And because Paul did that so well, we can read and look at some of the things that he did and learn something about what God is like. This particular text actually starts with verse 1 of chapter 2, where Paul says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but... And then he goes on to describe what their coming to them was like. The text that we just read is just a continuation of that thought. And so as for what this tells us about God, it just reinforces the point that salvation is all God's doing. In verse 4 of chapter 1, Paul says, We know that God has chosen you, and then explains how they know that. And we talked about this then that if you are saved, it is because God chose you, He pursued you, and He came to you. You know, when we uh, talk about getting saved, you often hear people use the term, When I came to Christ. If you read the Bible enough, you'll find out the actual truth is that Christ came to you. He came to you. He pursued you. And if he came to you and saved you, it was for him to be like this to you, which we are going to see here in these verses. Look at the last part of verse 6 again. It says, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Our authority. So Paul says that they could have exerted their authority because they had some authority to exert. I mean, they, were, uh, they could have demanded that the, the Thessalonians honor them and provide for them and, and demand that based on the fact that they were anointed apostles in the church. They were the leaders of this new movement, and so they had the authority to do that. But they didn't. And I think that this is a pretty good image that a lot of people have of what God is like, that he is this angry being who demands our allegiance and forces us into servitude and punishing us when we don't. And don't get me wrong, God does have the authority to do that, to act that way towards us if he chose to do it, because he is God and he makes the rules. Daniel 4.35 says he does whatever he wants. In the host of heaven and on earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? So God could exert the authority that he has like that if he so desired, and he would have every right to do it. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a day when he does that very thing towards those who have repeatedly denied and rejected him. It'll be on that final day of judgment when the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But to those whom he has chosen and gone to and saved, that, that's not his attitude, that, that's not his heart. What is his heart is starts in verse 7 when Paul says, But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. One of the things I love about living in the country and having a farm is just watching the behaviors of different animals. And one of the behaviors that I think I enjoy watching more than any other is the behavior of mothers in the animal kingdom. Now you may think it a little odd that in describing the way a mother cares for a child that I would be talking about animals, but there's a reason for that. Look at what Romans 1.20 says. It's going to be up on the sc- screen. It says for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So what that is saying is that everybody that rejects God they don't have an excuse because he's revealed himself to everyone through everything that he has made. And everything that God created, he has left an imprint of himself there. Through nature, he he shows off and displays different attributes of his character and his nature. And so by observing nature, we we are observing just glimpses of the very character of God. So today's sermon is going to be a little different than what you're probably used to. Because this morning, I'm going to show... How God reveals himself through nature and how that same thing is confirmed in his word. Specifically in this text here. Because here's the deal. You can look at something in nature and it not be God. Bahia grass and fire ants come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at something in nature and say, well, that, that, that's a character of God there... The only way you know that's true is because it'll also be confirmed in his word because god never speaks contrary to what we find in his word and one way that his character is revealed is in the motherly instincts that he placed inside um, his animal kingdom his creation we uh, we used to raise a heritage breed of pigs called gloucestershire old spots we had uh, one male and one female that we Uh, would sell the offspring from, would ship them to different places all over the country, and they were huge. The female, our sow, she weighed 800 pounds, and the boar weighed (laughs) 1,000. When we first got involved with them, I read everything that I could about what to do when when the babies were born, and nearly everything I read, it said that when they were born, you needed to separate the mother from the babies with a, a board big board and just leave just enough room at the bottom of it where the babies could nurse. And the reason was because pigs are usually notorious for stepping on or laying on or crushing these little babies because they are so big and clumsy. But this particular breed was known for being good mothers, and so I decided to keep them together and just see how it went. And it was amazing watching how our sow Daisy was with her babies. I mean, you got to picture this. She was nearly seven feet long from the front of her snout to her tail, over four feet high to the top of her back, 800 pounds of just solid muscle and power. When her babies were born, which she could have up to 12 in a litter, they were big enough to, to just lay there in the palm of your hand. But when she was around them, or they were around her, she was acutely aware of where every single one of them were at all times. And whenever she would start to lay down, first thing she would do was just slowly make a 360-degree turn, making sure that none of her babies were in the way, and she would find a clear spot and lay down. And if she was walking, it was just amazing watching these big old huge feet that she had But when she'd start to take a step, if one of her babies was under it, she'd be able to, to sense that and move it. I mean, she was so huge, yet so ginger and gentle with these little babies. And I was looking at that one day, and I just thought, well, that's how God is. Just infinite in his immense power and size and just omnipotence, and yet he is gentle with those who belong to him and he is acutely aware of every little detail of everyone who belongs to him and that's just one way that god has imprinted part of his character and nature on things that he created but being gentle is not the only characteristic of a good mother god is also very protective Of those who belong to him, the way a mother is protective of her babies. It was weird where we lived at the time. We, one of the few places in this part of East Texas that we didn't have a problem with wild pigs. They just didn't come around for whatever reason. But every time Daisy had a litter of piglets, this three hundred pound wild boar would always show up. And it was weird, when she was in heat, he never would come around. It was only when she had a litter of babies that this thing would come. Somehow he could smell them, and he was trying to get in there and and get those babies. But he would come, and several nights during the week, we would hear the most God-awful, hair-curling sounds coming from their pen, where that boy would get in there, and Daisy would go to war. She was protecting her babies and the screaming and growling and banging, and it was just unbelievable. And I'd run out there with a spotlight because I was going to shoot that wild hog, but find out I, I didn't have to because Daisy had taken care of him. That big old thing would go limping across the pasture, and you could see cuts and stuff on him because she was fiercely protective of her babies. You've heard me say this several times before, that God has a plan for your life, and he will not allow anything to happen that would prevent his plan for you from being fulfilled. He's just not going to. Now, his plan may not look like your plan, and you may say, well, that just stopped the plan. No, he has a plan. And he will not allow anything to come against that. God goes to great lengths to protect those who belong to him. So Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. No one. As far as who you are in him, and your eternal security, and your destiny, God is fiercely protective. Fiercely protective. Now, some of you are probably natural think, well, if he is so protective, then why does he allow so much struggle and pain and hardship to go on in some of his kids? Well, I can answer that with something I observed last week also in nature. Last week, I stepped out onto our, uh, through our back door. And as soon as I stepped on the porch, I heard this commotion going on over in the backyard. And I looked over and had looked, to was there just in time to see the beginning of this neat rite of passage where this family of blue jays was kicking the babies out of the nest and getting them to learn how to fly on their own. And so I called the kids to come look because we had seen this the year before in the front yard, and it was really neat. So they came out there. And so these three babies, as soon as they're out of the nest, boom, they go straight to the ground. And they're flopping and they're screaming on the ground there. And the mama's down there with them. Well, all this commotion got the attention of our three cats pretty quick. And so they saw all the flopping and the screeching going on. And, boy, there they were in no time. And the first cat there, she pounced on one of the babies and just took off with it. One of the kids ran her down and got The baby bird out of its mouth and luckily got there in time it wasn't really hurt very bad at all and so we knew that there was no way that these babies were going to survive with the cats around and so we decided to get them and put them in this big rabbit cage we had until they could get strong enough to be able to fly on their own we were thinking maybe one or two days tops but after three days they still could not even fly from one end of the cage to the other They weren't getting any stronger at all. And then on day four, I look out, and I see this group of adult blue jays in the tree near the cage, and Mama is actually on top of the rabbit cage talking to and and squawking at the babies. And so I decide that I'm going to try to get them back with them, and so I make sure there's no cats around, and I take them out of the cage, and there's this one low-hanging limb in the tree that I'm able to reach, and I set them up there, and their little claws grab onto that, and all the adults are there just... Squawking at them, and Mama's there right beside them. And pretty soon, they flapped their wings up to one limb, and then they sit there and rested. And then they flapped up to another limb, a little higher, and then they flapped out horizontal, a little further distance. And each time they tried, they got a little further and a little further until finally they just took off and flew off with with all the other birds. And here's what I learned from that: is that if we had kept them in that cage, they never would have been able to fly. They never would have been able to get strong enough. If we'd have been able to kept the cats away from that first day, within about 10 or 15 minutes, they'd have been off and flying on their own. And the reason is because it was that effort of flying from one limb to the other and a little further and a little further at a time that that was strengthening their wings. And so giving them all that space to do that was able to allow them to, to fly. Now, if birds could think like we do, those babies at the very beginning of that whole ordeal would have thought, What in the world are mom and dad doing? They don't love us. They're trying to get us killed. How could they allow us to go through such a scary and painful thing? But the reality would be that because the parents did care for them, they are wired to have that caring uh, instinct in them And they wanted them to thrive in the world and and be the birds that they were created to be. They kicked them out and led them through that horrible ordeal so that they could. And they guided them through all that struggle and, and difficulty. Those birds instinctively knew that if those babies had stayed in the nest, they wouldn't have been who God created them to be. And they eventually would have actually died. And so here's the deal. Every struggle and pain and disappointment that you face in life, you need to think about this. God is fully capable of keeping that from happening. Of keeping you out of that struggle. Keeping you free from that pain. And some would say that if he really was good and loving, that he would do that. No, because he really is good and loving, he doesn't. He doesn't prevent it sometimes. He knows there are struggles that will mold you into the person that he created you to be. And there are struggles that he's going to allow you to go through that are going to strengthen and mature you. And so when those struggles do come and you're wondering where is God and all this, just think... Number one, he is sovereign and he is in control. He is completely aware of what you're going through. He could stop it, but he hasn't. And then you need to remind yourself, he is good. He is for me, not against me. And so I just need to trust him with this. Trust him. Just like those birds were going to new levels in that tree. God leads us into new levels of trust in him. And so a good mother, as a good mother who cares for her children, God has these qualities towards you. Gentleness, care, protection, and a desire to see you grow and mature and a willingness to allow you to go through things so that you can grow and mature. Let's read down a little further in the text. Skip down to verse 11. He says, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Now, I just love how the nature of God is revealed in this verse. In verse 7, he cares for us like a mother would her own children. And in verse 11, he exhorts, encourages, and implores us like a father would his children. There's something else that was really neat that I observed when watching those blue jays. When the babies hit the ground, the mother was the first one there right beside them. And she's looking out for them and protecting them, trying to keep the cats away. The male blue jay was in the tree limb just above them. And he was calling down, squawking at those babies. And then when I put them in the tree, it was him that would be right above them, the mother right beside them. And he would call to them, and they would go up to the limb that he was on. And then he'd be the one that would go up a little higher and call down to them, and they'd go up to him. It was like that that Father Blue Jay was there cheering them on and calling them up higher and and, and higher. And it was so neat to see that. And so every time they went to where Dad was calling them to, they would get stronger and stronger until they were able to finally do it themselves this is the idea that's being conveyed here in verse 11 it's a father calling out to encouraging and cheering on his children god imprinted that attribute of his nature onto those birds onto those blue jays he is not some ogre just waiting to strike us down every time we mess up he is a good father who is cheering on his kids And every time we fall, he's not sit there disgusted and angry. He's going, come on, you can do it, get up. Just like we never scold a toddler who falls down when they're trying to walk. No, we cheer every little step, even if it was one step and a fall. We're like, yay, you took a step. That's the Father's heart. That's what God has towards us in reminding us of who we are in him. What we've got to do is listen for him. Listen for him. Because he's cheering you on right now. He's encouraging you right now. He's trying to remind you of who you are in him, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And it can be hard to hear him because we live in the constant bombardment of false messages and lies and the voice of the enemy i 'm telling you if you listen to, if you are purposeful in listening for him you're going to hear him because jesus said in john ten twenty seven my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me from part of junior high all the way through high school and college i took part in the sport of boxing I did it for ten years in the For the first few years of that, my dad was my coach. And during each fight, he would be in my corner encouraging me and calling out instructions, the things that I I needed to do. But his was not the only voice in that arena. There were also hundreds of others and sometimes thousands that were being very loud and, and giving their opinions on what I should do and what my opponent should do. And it was just chaotic in there. And so you would think that the voice of my dad, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to hear him above all that other crowd noise and everything else that was going on, but I discovered something pretty neat. And that was while I was fighting and being bombarded with all these other noises and voices, I would, I would listen for him. I, I would be purposeful in listening for his voice. And I don't know how it would happen, but I was able to block out everything else to where that's all I could hear. That's all I could hear. God used that to show me that we can do the same thing with all the noise and the false messages that are coming at us in this world. Now, I'll be honest, there were times where I couldn't hear him. Sometimes I'd get caught with such a good punch that all I could hear was a buzzing or ringing in my ears. <laughs> and if it was a real good fight, then I mean, sometimes the crowd would just be too deafening. But no matter what it was that caused me to not be able to hear him, it wouldn't last forever. It's no more than one to three minutes because there would always be an end to the round. And for 60 seconds, I would go to my corner, sit on a stool, the crowd noise would die down, and he'd be right there in my face. So I couldn't help but hear him. That's what coming together like this in church is like sometimes we just have to remove ourselves from the struggles and the noise of this world and come together where god is going to meet with us there and we can block everything else out and he's just right there speaking to us almost face to face so why hebrews 10 25 says do not forsake assembling together as is the habit of some we need times like this in our lives to just get away and just focus on and listen specifically to his voice. And as we are here, gathered in this place today, he is here too. And he is speaking to us through his word. And he's telling you, he cares for you. He is for you, not against you. He does not condemn you, but encourages and cheers you on, reminding you of who you are in Him. And there's only one reason why that is even possible for us. And we see that also in this text, reflected in what Paul said in verse 8 Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. To be able to know God this way, for Him to be this towards you is only possible because He gave His own life through Jesus. And if you put your trust in Him, you now have the opportunity to know God like this. He gave His life so that you could know Him. He just wants you to know Him. Let's pray. Lord, it is, an ama- it is an amazing thing to think that you would even allow us to know you, especially in this way, because you know we don't deserve that. We deserve to be condemned, to be rejected, to be punished. yet in your infinite grace and mercy you were condemned and rejected and punished so that we could know you God that is too big for us too big for us to be able to wrap our puny brains around that can only happen by miraculous revelation. By your spirit. So Lord, let us see that. Let us grasp the truth and the gravity of that. And Lord, let us know you the way that you want to be known. So God, I pray for those in here this morning that may be going through a struggle. Wondering where in the world you are. And how if you are so loving, you would allow them to go through this. God, I pray that they would see right now. Lord, that you reminded them that, yes, you love them. You are for them. But you're leading them through something that's for their good and your glory. Lord, show us how to trust you. Because there is no greater freedom than comes to be able to completely trust the one who is in complete control. So, Lord, take your word now and do a work in our hearts that you desire to do. We love you. Thank you for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen.